0: Matthew the 17th chapter, Matthew chapter 17, and um, I am a little bit hesitant tonight to give you the title of the message because I don't know if I'm actually going to get to the part in the message that explains the title, um, but there was a word I used a few Wednesday nights ago that... Um, we're going to uh, to begin to deal with and unpack, and um, and that word is the word faith, Maddox. Okay, faith, Maddox. Right now, if you've ever heard that word before in your life, you heard it from the same Holy Spirit I heard it from because I have never heard that word before in my life, but he. Um, led me to that word in other words it, it, it's not a Greek word it's two Greek words that I joined together and we'll talk about that um, faithmatics now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear faithmatics but what comes to my mind is mathematics right or perhaps automatic amen. Uh, but here we're talking about faithmatics amen and so If it works out, we'll do some deeper explanation of that. But I want us to begin tonight in uh, Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 14. Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now, before I read any further, let me give you just a little bit of background here. Jesus had called Peter, James, and John aside and took them to what we refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration. This was when Jesus' true identity, his inward man, was supernaturally allowed by God the Father to to shine through his outward man. And we know that Moses and Elijah were there with Jesus and Peter, James, and John witnessed this. So when it says in verse 14, when they had come to the multitude, that's where Jesus was. That's why he wasn't present when this whole event or episode unfolded. While Jesus was being transfigured with Peter, James, and John, a man whose son was possessed with a demon brought that child to Jesus' disciples for Jesus, I mean, for those disciples. I'm sure he was probably expecting Jesus to be with him, but obviously Jesus was out of the office, so to speak. you know. And so the um, other nine, I guess you could say, disciples went to... Uh, cast the the devil out of uh, this young boy but with no results now this is particularly interesting to me because if you if you read the Gospels closely you'll see that the disciples were not out of their league so to speak this was this was not something that was beyond them Jesus had given them authority over devils and demons. He had already sent them on journeys um, two by two. So it's not, well, if all 12 of them had been there. No, I mean, they they would go, just two of them would go into a, a city and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and lay hands on the sick and the sick would recover, cast out demons. So I know we read this and we think, well, novices, rookies, you know, they... They didn't know what they were doing, and they should have never even tried. They should have just waited on Jesus to get back. And, you know, know. no, it was none of that. They, They had cast out many demons, and not to mention how many they had witnessed Jesus casting out. But in this particular situation, when they went to cast the demon out of this little boy, there were no results. And so this is where we picked up in verse 14. And the man is, of course, waiting for Jesus to get back, for Jesus to... Take care of the situation. So he says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. All right, so it's time to debrief. Verse 19 Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? Now, before I read any further, let me stop here. Um, I have tremendous respect for these men. Obviously, for a lot of reasons, but I mean as it pertains to this story. I have tremendous respect for them because they recognized that this was something they should have been able to do, but were not able to. And rather than coming up with all kinds of half-cocked religious um, excuses, they went straight to Jesus to ask Him, hey, you know, what happened here? Why could we not cast the devil out of this little boy? Again, remember that... This would not have been the first time they had cast a devil out without Jesus being present, physically present with them. This would have been something they would have done numerous times. So they were a bit confused by this. They were, um, I believe, a little bit embarrassed. Maybe a little bit perplexed. And so when the time was right and they could do it privately, you know, they said, hey, Jesus, um, man, that whole episode this afternoon, what, what went wrong there? Why, why could we not cast it out? Verse 20, so Jesus said to them, because it wasn't Father's timing. Is that what it says? <laughs> Jesus said, because it wasn't Father's will. Because there's just some things that you boys will never understand about how all this works. You couldn't cast him out because God works in mysterious ways. Is that what he said? Couldn't cast him out because that boy's daddy had committed some horrible sins and that was the punishment of God. Is that what he said? But for those of you who've been around religion slash church for any extended period of time, you know I'm not just trying to put on some comic act up here. These are all the different reasons and plenty more that people offer for things not coming to pass in their lives as the Bible says they should be coming to pass. So instead of creating some new doctrine, instead of making excuses, instead of, instead of offering religious cliches and, and you know, just ignorance, they decided to ask Jesus. We see other places where similar questions are asked and we even see other times when Jesus didn't wait for them to ask, He just went ahead and told them. But the answer was the same. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly. Now, I know some of you probably like, is he really going to do the whole assuredly spell again, you know, spill again? Yes, I am. When Think about what he's saying here. Guys, I know this don't sound right to you, but I'm telling you it's right. I know this sounds extreme to you, but I'm telling you this is the way it is. I know this may go against everything you've been taught from this point forward about God, but all that's wrong, and I'm telling you this is right. Assuredly, what I'm telling you, take it to the bank. It's true today, it'll be true tomorrow, it'll be true forever. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, this was a situation, again, the disciples should have been able to handle, but did not handle, and they did not handle it because of unbelief. This was... This was where the breakdown happened. This was, this was where the, 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 the failure, so to speak, um, took place, was in this area of unbelief. Now, clearly, based upon Jesus' response, and I want you to hear me, are we mature enough to talk about this? Are we, are we man and woman enough to talk? Amen. I, I got it deeper down in my notes, but let me just mention it now, and if we have time, I'll expand on this a little more. But one of the problems we have in the body of Christ today is people get so defensive when we try to address these things, when I tell you I have respect for these men, certainly they wanted to help that little boy. Certainly they were probably you know feeling pretty accomplished as ministers. You know, I mean, after all, they were Jesus's right hand men. They were his inner circle. Uh, he is, you know calling them friends if he hadn't already. He, he's he's referring to them as apostles if he hadn't already. We, you know, the timing of these things. Again, these these men were 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 you know experienced in the sense that they had done this before and and so yet they come to jesus and jesus i think i mean obviously I, i've told you I, I always try to imagine these things always try to put myself in these men's position their places um, and I, I really for whatever reason i don't think they were expecting the unbelief answer of this time i don't i don't think I, in other words, they were sincere in that they wanted to learn, they wanted to grow, because ultimately there's people that need to be helped. And, and, and the help involves faith. Faith is, I, I, see again, if Jesus hadn't said unbelief, we would think that this has nothing to do with faith, it has to do with authority. You know, authority in the name of Jesus. But no, it's it's faith in his name that enables the authority to remove the demon. So faith, again, impossible to please him without faith. Impossible to do anything that God has, has called us to do, next level, whatever, apart from faith. But I really don't think they were expecting the unbelief answer this time. Even though he said faithless and perverse generation, right? Because... Again, they had already experienced... Let me say it another way. They had done the same thing... They'd done exactly what they did this time before with results. This time, no results. Now, Jesus said... I'm going to show it to you in verse 17 again. I'll put it back up on the screen. Jesus answered and said... Pretty strong words here Oh faithless and perverse generation how long shall I be with you what could I paraphrase for you I'm not gonna be right here physically present always to do this for you and as we do you hear what do you hear it in Jesus's voice I've showed you how to do this. You should be doing this yourself. You shouldn't need me to come in here and do this for you. How long am I... I'm not going to be here in the flesh forever to do this for you. This is something that you need to do. You should be able to do. How long shall I bear with you? When he says bear with them, what what does he mean there? I mean, obviously he's like, guys, you should have got this by now. If, If you've been trying to teach somebody something... And, you know, first day they don't get it, okay, man, they'll get it tomorrow. Second day they don't get it, okay, they'll get it next. You know, after about three or four days, it's like, man, how long do you expect me to bear with you? You know, I mean, we've got to, got, to, we got to start producing some results here. And then, of course, he says, bring him here to me. Now, Jesus, again, I put it on the screen just to isolate that, that phrase. Jesus said they were a faithless and perverse generation. So let's deal with faithless first. Faithless literally means unbelieving. And implies they had the ability to believe, but refused to use that ability. That's interesting, isn't it? It kind of ties in with some of the things we've been talking about here of late that clearly in these situations Jesus expected them to produce different results than they were producing he expected them to have a different perspective than they were having remember when they were in the boat and hungry and only brought one loaf of bread and Jesus is like are you serious guys do you not remember the little boys lunch and the thousands and then we did it again with thousands how is it that you're still coming up with the answer that you're not ever going to have enough to eat? Right? You see, in other words, it, I, when we could go on and on down that line of review. So faithless, remember, he's given to every person the measure of faith. It's not that they, they, they didn't have faith, it's that they weren't using it. Faithless literally means unbelieving and implies They had the ability to believe, but refused to use that ability. But he said, faithless and perverse. Now, I don't know about you, I'd probably rather talk about a different word tonight. Um, Because in our day and time, something being perverse or perverted has come to be associated with, with deviant sexual behavior we say someone is a pervert we usually mean that's that's somebody that you know is inappropriate with children Um, and so we got to get beyond that though because we really need to connect here with what Jesus is saying and what he meant and why he chose to use this word so he said they were unbelieving they had the ability to believe but were not using it and then he said they were Perverse, And I want you to notice now, this is also extremely important. He didn't just say they were a faithless and perverse bunch. He said it was a faithless and perverse generation. This was something that was pervasive uh, in, in an entire generation of, of people. Think about that for a moment now. In other words, Jesus wasn't just dealing with this amongst his own disciples. His disciples were a microcosm of what he was dealing with in in the greater population of that area. The generation as a whole was unbelieving and perverse. Okay? So, when we talk about something being perverse, when Jesus used this word... Strategically use this word, perverse means something bent, twisted, or crooked. Something bent, twisted, or crooked. Let me, let me, let me, can I just maybe say it real simple like and then we'll build a little more on top of it? Uh, Something ain't right here. Something's not the way it should be here. If you, perver- if you pervert something, I was going to say prevert. If you pervert something, I'm going to put it on the screen. You ready? Big words like mayonnaise. If you pervert something, you alter it from its original course, meaning or state to a distortion or corruption of what was first intended. Again, let's get let's let's, let's dial in with me. Just a few more minutes, okay? If you pervert something, you alter it from its original course. In other words, it's it's on track, it's on the, you know, in this case, let's think about the original course as as being the original course that God intended for mankind. What he meant when he meant you. The state of life, the state of being that he created us for, okay? How God created us to live. He created us to live by faith, remember? The just shall live by faith. The ones that have got it right are the ones who are living by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. When Jesus said they were a perverse generation, he said they were a generation that has has been distorted. They've altered from their original course. They've altered from what God originally meant for them. They're they're, they're living in a a state, a a, a way of life, that, that has become corrupted from what was first intended. Pervert means to change something from its correct use or original purpose. Behavior that deviates from an established norm. So what then, according to what... I'm asking you to think tonight. Let the Holy Spirit help you think. Not just here, but in your heart, okay? When Jesus was saying that they were faithless and perverse, He was saying you're unbelieving and way off course. You're unbelieving and therefore you are not functioning as Father intended. You're unbelieving and what happened here is a distortion of the way it's supposed to function. Remember when the 70 came back, clicking their heels, high-fiving one another, celebrating and wanting to have a ticker tape parade because the demons were subject to them? And Jesus said, don't rejoice over demons being subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What was He saying? He said you're embarrassing yourself because demons are subject to you. Demons are supposed to be subject to you. Demons are supposed to bow their knee to you. Mankind was created just a little bit lower than God. And ministering spirits, angels, are, are sent to serve the heirs of salvation. That's me and you. Demons are fallen angels. They are far beneath you in the established pecking order of God. Those men should have had no more problem casting the devil out of that little boy than they would have had getting rid of a yapping puppy uh, you know, uh, annoying them. Get! And off the dog goes. Pardon the poor sound effects. I've been preaching a lot today. Amen. But you understand it. You picked it up, right? Amen. It, it, you know, get out of here. What in the world are you doing messing with this little boy? Get out of here and get out of here now. It should have been that easy. They told the devil to go and it didn't leave because of their unbelief. And Jesus called it perverse. A distortion of how things are supposed to function. Faithless and perverse generation. Clearly, Jesus is saying, refusing to believe or not operating in faith is an altered and perverted lifestyle from what we were originally created to experience. If I'm spending too much time here, you just bear with me, all right? This is from my notes. Think about it. The disciples did not cast out the demon by faith because of unbelief, and Jesus called the situation perverse meaning an alteration and functional distortion of how they were originally, how we were originally created to live. How about this? This is kind of strong. Are you ready? It wasn't just a failure. It was a perversion. Are you, Man, help me, Holy Spirit. Are you seeing this? It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like Jesus said, oh, well, okay, swing and a miss. We'll try better next time. He said the problem is deeper than this there's a there's a there's a there's a distortion here there, there's a uh, somewhere along the way guys you've gotten off track and you've gotten way off track you, you, <laughs> how you think this thing's supposed to work uh, and how it really works right there's a big gap here so much so that that it's it's not just uh, uh, a, a small problem it, it's it's perversion I'm not exactly sure why the Holy Spirit wanted me to say this and I <laughs> I know he I know he does because um I don't want to, I'm feeling awkward about saying it, you know what I'm saying? But for some reason he wants me to confess by faith to you tonight and and, and I want to say by faith, but he told me he said he said tell the folks that you're a troubleshooter that sounds so odd. It's like, well, that's kind of corny, Pastor Martin. No, just hear me. I'm, I'm, amen. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm wimping out. Amen. He said, tell him I've gifted you as a troubleshooter. You're a gifted troubleshooter. That's what the Lord told me this afternoon. I'm like, Lord, what? what? You know, I mean, you want to hear him say stuff like, you're a mighty man of God. You know, you want to hear him say, you're... you're. You're an amazing preacher. You know, he says you know, I say, he's like he's like Mark, I've I've gifted you to troubleshoot things. Amen. And I'm like, Lord, I'm not sure I really understand that. He said, The first book that I had you write He said, I had you troubleshoot addiction recovery for people. He said as detailed and as long as that book is, it really comes back to answering a very simple question. Why do so many people fail at recovery? Troubleshoot. (laughs) Troubleshoot. That doesn't mean like trouble. That's not what he's talking about, right? Amen. Troubleshoot is when something is not producing the results that it should be producing and we take a systematic approach to figuring out why. Amen? Are you with me? Can I ask you a question that he asked me today that, man, just about just about brought me to my knees, man. I'm telling you. He asked me first, and he wants me to ask you. Real simple question, okay? I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it exactly, okay? Are you satisfied with the results your faith is producing in your life? I'll tell you tonight, as humbly as I can tell you, personally, I am not satisfied with the results that my faith is producing in my life and in the people, in the lives of the people that I love. Now you can judge me for that or whatever. I'm just I'm just telling you, I'm not satisfied. And even if you are, I'm sure you would agree, there's room. For you to grow and improve troubleshooting involves finding out why something's not working or producing the results it should be producing and then correcting those problems Amen. now I'm gonna be honest with you I, I never until this afternoon I could probably go back to my notes and tell you what time it was. i never I never thought until now that becoming a threat to addiction was troubleshooting, but that's exactly that's exactly what it is. You ever look at a owner's manual, maybe for a lawnmower or some appliance or whatever, and it's it's not working and at the back of the owner's manual, there's the troubleshooting section. And basically what it says, if it's doing this and it shouldn't be, you know, my favorite is check to make sure the switch is on. (laughs) But see, that's the systematic approach. Troubleshooting by definition is a systematic approach to problem solving that is used to find and correct undesired behavior or a lack of expected functionality with complex machines or systems. Listen to me please, faith is a complex system. It's otherworldly, it's otherworldly, amen. And so if we have a machine or a system that is producing undesired behavior or lacking expected results or functionality, right? Then we need to troubleshoot it. So if we're not satisfied with the results that our faith is producing in our lives, perhaps some troubleshooting is required here. Amen. I wish you could see this. I use I use this software. It's... it's It's one of my favorite pieces of software of all time. In the cabinet business, we had a piece of software that cost over $3,000. This one cost $12, okay? And it's still one of my all-time favorites, okay? It's called Mindnode. I don't get any money for anybody that wants to buy that, but it's mind mapping software, okay? And what it literally lets you do is it's a, it's, a, it's a piece of software that allows you to just empty your mind on the blank canvas of a computer screen and then connect them all together, and, and they're all done in branches. Are you with me? So you start with the main point, then sub points, then sub-sub points, then sub-sub-sub points, then sub-sub-sub-sub-sub points, right? And, um, and I have one called Faithmatics. It's the biggest one I've ever done. I mean, the writing is like this big on the computer screen, but if you zoom all the way out or in on this thing, it's like, I'm not kidding you, man, it's like this big. I mean, it's like, whew. you see what I'm saying? Amen. And it's like when I'm, I'm trying to go through all this, and I, I feel like the last few Wednesday nights, I appreciate the positive feedback, but I feel like the last few Wednesday nights, I have just been like, just almost overwhelmed trying to preach this to you because there's just so much to it. There's so, it's it just branch after branch after branch after branch after branch, okay? So this is what we're calling faith matics. Let me finish right here, okay? Are you good? There is a lot of resistance surrounding the subject of faith. People get very defensive and are easily offended when you dare suggest there is room for improvement. This is the enemy tipping his hand if you have eyes to see it. Your enemy knows how important faith is and diligently fights against it with any means available. You in Christ and in faith, okay? You in Christ, if you're born again, you're in Christ. And then if you learn how to operate in faith, you in Christ and in faith are the devil's worst nightmare and spell doom to him and his kingdom of darkness. No wonder there's so much blindness, confusion, and ignorance surrounding faith and its proper use in our lives to solve problems, move mountains, and receive into our life realities what Father's grace has already given to us. Now, in the coming days, we're going to look at the first one we can cover pretty quick. Matter of fact, I thought we may get to it tonight. I've mentioned it to you already. When we start troubleshooting faith, one of the one of the things, and I I, I hadn't really realized, we've been doing it for over a year now. We talked about feigned or pretend faith. Then we've talked about probability, faith and probability versus God's ability. And some of you are here for that, some of you are not. We, amen. But, these I think are some of the more, some of the things we're gonna be looking at here in the coming days on Wednesdays together. There's some of the more fundamental mistakes. In other words, I, I, I believe that there are a lot of people not experiencing the results that they could otherwise be experiencing in their life by faith if they can, if they can resolve some of these, these issues. And this actually is where the word faith came into my, into my spirit because the Holy Spirit was, was showing me this from the perspective of doing math. As a matter of fact, what came up in my, in my spirit was I, I said these words, um, Have you done the faith? But when I said, Have you done the faith? I was literally saying, like, have you ever asked anybody, have you done the math? Just what we mean by have you done the math? I and mean, we even say, have you done the math when there's no math involved? What we're, what we're literally saying is, have you thought it through? You know, we say something like, I've done the math, and, uh, and you know, I believe this plan's going to work. And, and really, the, the, doing the math could mean numbers, or it could just mean, you know, we've got the people or the ability or what have you. So when we say, have you done the math, Jesus talked about people who went to build a tower, but they didn't count the cost. They just kind of flew off the handle without ever really sitting down and 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 thinking things through. When, when we talk about doing the math, and I'm going to... I know I keep saying I'm gonna finish, okay? I'm thinking about trying to find a place to finish, okay? How about this, and you talk about the Lord teaching us things about faith with words and ways that I've never heard faith taught. He said, again along these lines, you must beware of calculator faith. Calculator faith, okay, so what is calculator faith? Calculator faith is when we arrive at a faith answer without doing any of the legwork of faith. Calculator faith is when we parrot, parrot like a parrot, P-A-R-R-O-T, when we parrot what we've heard from others but lack the depth of meaning and conviction that comes from having these things in your heart. This would be like turning in a list of numbers that we copied from our buddy's math homework. In other words, we've got the answers, but we haven't done the math. We could have every 10... Complicated math problems and we hand the teacher a sheet numbered 1 through 10 with 10 correct answers on it because we forgot or didn't do or were too lazy and we grabbed our buddy's paper and we wrote down real quick his 10 answers on our paper and turned it in. This is what I mean by calculator faith. You cannot simply get your answers from something you heard somebody else say. Those are their answers. You need the Lord to give you your answers. Because here's the thing. And this is what, this kind of goes back to, and I, got, I think maybe, and I'm happy with it, amen, I'm not being too hard on myself, but I got a little bit ahead of myself the last two Wednesday nights because we were talking about hope and, and, and taking a position and having to defend it. Here's the thing, okay? Whatever answer, whatever faith confession you make, you're going to have to defend those answers because you have an, an enemy that's going to try to poke holes in them You cannot take shortcuts here and expect to be strong in faith. The devil can see through calculator faith. He will call you to the chalkboard of life and challenge your answer. You ever been there? You turned in the homework and the teacher's like, yeah, Mark, would you come show us how you got answer seven? Well, Alan helped me with it, uh, Miss Blackwell. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask Mr. Barr to come do the problem. I asked you, Mr. Winslet. Where's Miss Blackwell when I need her? Praise God. Amen. My high school math teacher. You see, what's happening here, right? So there's a lot of folks, they hear somebody else say it, and now that becomes their faith confession, but they haven't done the faith. They haven't searched the Scriptures. They haven't hid it in their heart. They are in no position to defend their answer from the attacks of the enemy who's going to immediately try to undermine it. He's immediately going to challenge. When you say by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed, I believe, I'm healed, He's immediately going to try to poke holes in that. He's immediately, where'd you get that answer? What makes you think that? Your foot's still hurting, you're not healed. He's immediately going to challenge you. And when you haven't done the faith, what do we mean by doing the faith? Again, searching the scriptures, finding it out for yourself. There was a, group of folks that we'll look at them next week but they they decided they were going to cast the devil out of a man and they said this way you ready they copied off of Paul's homework we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches at least they admitted it we got this answer from Paul Paul the straight A student Paul the man with all the answers Paul That cast out demons everywhere he goes. That Paul. We adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demons, the demon in that boy said, "Uh, we know Paul and we certainly know Jesus. But we have no idea who you bunch of clowns are. Did they have the right answer? Why did their answer not Produce any results. They hadn't done the faith. Just something they heard somebody else say. Saw it work for them. All right, stand with me. Praise God. Hmm. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you, Lord, for what you have prepared for us. Father, the, the Holy Spirit is saying to us tonight, we, we need to get in your word and find out from you for our own selves what you have to say about these mountains that we're facing in our lives. And I thank you, Lord, that you're teaching us and showing us how to do that. Holy Spirit, you're coming alongside us and you're helping us with our homework getting us ready to fight the good fight of faith, being able to write on the chalkboard of life your answer for any circumstance, symptom, or sense realm piece of evidence the enemy would throw at us to confuse us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, praise God. Your love tonight, thank you so much for being here. I know it's been a long day and I feel bad about asking, but if somebody could help us move those tables and chairs, it would be mucho graciously graciously appreciated. Amen, good things coming.